Well, he and I are about the same. I mean, except for he can sing and uh, he can play the guitar and he has cool hair. But other than that, we're pretty close, don't you think? What do you think, Charlie? Thanks, Charlie. I appreciate that, brother. Appreciate that. Hey, guys, thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Rachel. Uh, thank you both. Uh, enjoyed that very much. It's kind of nice to sit out there and worship. It really is. It's a lot of fun. So thank you very, very much. There's something I hear pretty often as a pastor, and it's usually from people who are either coming to Christ or are really growing in the relationship with Him. They will say things to me like this, my friends and family think I'm going off on the deep end. Have you heard this before? They think I'm losing it. They think I'm getting weird. They think I'm really out there. I don't know if you have experienced this or heard this. And I always say the same thing to these people. I always say, yay! Yay! Say, yay. Weirdness is a sign of true conversion. And you won't find that in a verse anywhere. But it permeates all of the Scripture. So I, I always tell them, I say... This is a praise. You're becoming weird in a good way. You're becoming weird in a good way. God says we are... Does anybody know what the King James says? We are a peculiar people. Did you know that? Did you know that about yourself? Did you know you were peculiar? The Lord, the Lord tells us in so many words that we are weird. So when someone tells me I'm weird, when they're trying to insult me, I embrace it. And I smile to myself. I smile to myself. Because I know they're seeing something in me of God. Ever, you know, maybe ever so small, but they're seeing something in me that looks like God. Six times in the Bible, in the King James, God says that we are a peculiar people. I looked up the word peculiar, and here's what it says. Unusual, eccentric, odd, standing apart from others, distinct and particular exclusive and unique. I love these. Now, I love these last two. And really, this is the sense in which the Bible, the King James is using the word peculiar. Belonging distinctively to someone. Okay? And another definition along that line is a possession that is exclusively one's own. This is what God is saying when He's calling us a peculiar people. Other English translations uh, of the Greek words say it this way. We are God's own people. We are God's own possession. We are God's very own people. We are God's own special people. We belong to God. We belong to God. We are peculiar. We are weird because we belong to Him. We belong to to him, and this is why I smile at my I smile to myself when I'm accused of being weird because I am, and I embrace it and I love it. You and I, if we are Christians tonight, we are peculiar in the best possible way, the most beautiful way, the most excellent way, the most superlative way. We are peculiar because we are God's. We are distinctively His. Okay. We are exclusively His possession. So, when your family and friends <coughs> accuse you of going over the deep end, call me. And I want to know about it. Because I'm going to say yay. I'm going to say yay. 
that means they're seeing God. That means they're seeing God in your life. I had a seminary professor who used to express this in an interesting way. I think I've shared it with you before. But when he would encounter a man or a woman who was sold out for God, he would always say the same thing. He would say, they smell like God. And he was referencing 2 Corinthians 2, 14, 16, which says this, Thanks be to God who manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. For we are fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Brothers and sisters, if you're a Christian tonight, there's supposed to be a fragrance following you. It's the fragrance of God. Your family, your co-workers, your friends, your neighbors, your fellow church members, they're supposed to be able to smell God on you. We are supposed to be a sweet aroma of Him in every place. So my question to you is, how, how do you smell out in the world? How are you smelling out in the world? Are you smelling like God? Do people know that you are distinctively His? Do they know that you're not just peculiar because you're peculiar? You're peculiar because you belong to God? Do they know that? Do they know that about you? Are you a sweet aroma of the knowledge of Jesus Christ in every place? Two times in the text tonight that you heard Keith read, the Lord Jesus will say that we are not of this world. True believers are not of this world. And Jesus says it in a most emphatic way. He says we are not of this world even as He is not of this world. We are as alien on the planet as God Himself. Okay, I love that he, he uh, emphasizes it that way. We are as alien on the planet as the Lord Jesus is. This is why I smile to myself when people try to insult me and tell me that I'm weird and peculiar. I love it. I embrace it. And I want to encourage you to do the same thing. As we continue in John 17, the Lord Jesus continues to intercede for His own. We've talked about this. The intercessory ministry of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ is not for unbelievers. It's only for believers. And as we continue in John 17, Jesus continues to intercede for us. I like what one commentator said about John 17. It's kind of a pre-cross preview to Jesus' post-cross ministry. Because Jesus right now is doing what? He's interceding for His own, right? He ever liveth to intercede as the writer of Hebrews says. Jesus continues to, to pray specifically for His eleven tonight. And He will begin to pray for us more particularly next week. But all that He's praying for His eleven tonight, He's praying for us as well. He's specifically praying for His eleven. But we are included in this. So I want you to pay close attention because you and I are involved intimately with this text. Verse 13, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. But now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy made full in themselves. Now, this verse, it's one of those verses that makes me a little crazy. It makes me a little bit nuts. Because I, I, I hope you, you heard what Jesus is praying for. That we may have His joy made full in us. 
This is a staggering thing to me. And if you think deeply about it, it, have, it would have to be staggering to you as well. So why is Jesus saying what is he, he's saying? Why is he praying audibly? Why is he giving us the word of God? He says right here, I'm speaking these things that you may have my joy made full in you. This is why he's saying what he's saying. This is why he's praying audibly. And I have to ask you, does this not provoke your imagination? Does this not tantalize your imagination about all that Jesus is saying here about us having divine joy? I, it stimulates my imagination beyond its ability to conceive. So let me ask you, how big is the joy of Jesus Christ? How big? There's a great quote that I've I've always loved as John Piper. I think I've shared it with you before. But this quote helps plant in my heart some small idea about how big the joy of God is. Piper says it like this. Creation is simply the overflow of God's infinite exuberance for His own excellence. The eternal happiness of the triune God spills over in the work of creation. I love that. Creation is simply the overflow of God's infinite exuberance for His own excellence. How big is the joy of Jesus Christ, the Creator? It's the source of everything you see. It's the source of, of the material world. Everything you see is fueled and stems and comes out of the joy of Jesus Christ. His joy conceived and spoke into existence a seemingly infinite cosmos. Now, I know some of you have heard my Hubble telescope illustration. It's one of my favorite illustrations. How many of you have heard my, my Hubble telescope illustration? Only, only a couple of you guys? That's good. That's real good. So you know the Hubble telescope is trying to find the end of the cosmos, but it can't find it. Now, it can see 11 billion light years. How many people know what a light year is? How much is a light year? Yeah, yeah. Well, how, how many miles? That's correct, Liddell. Excellent, excellent. Six trillion miles. And what I want to say to you, Hubble can see 11 billion times six trillion, and it, all it sees is infinite expanse. And what I'm trying to plant in your mind, this is how big the joy of God is. Oh, except Job told Bildad that these are but the fringes of his ways. We haven't seen anything yet. And what I'm trying to plant in your mind is the scope of what Jesus is saying here in verse 13. 11 billion times 6 trillion doesn't get it done when we're talking about the joy of the Lord Jesus Christ. His joy is omnipotent and His joy is is omnipresent. I'm just going to give you a couple of verses from, from, uh, the, from the Psalms. Well, I'll give you the first one from Job 38.7. When God said, let it be, do you remember what the morning stars did? They sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Psalm 65. Thou dost make the dawn and the sunset shout for joy. The hills, the hills gird themselves with rejoicing. The meadows and valleys shout for joy. Yes, they sing. 
Psalm 96, let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. The seas roar, the, uh, the fields exult, the trees of the forest sing for joy. Psalm 98, shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Break forth and sing for joy and sing praises. The rivers clap their hands, the mountains sing for joy. How big is the joy of God? 11 billion times 6 trillion. That's only the fringes of His ways. That's only the fringes of His joy. Brothers and sisters, I want you to worship. I want you to worship over verse 13. If you've not, if you've not thought deeply about uh, verse 13, you need to. You need to. This is awesome, awesome stuff. Jesus' joy is omnipotent and it is omnipresent. And Jesus says, He prays that we might have His joy, that we might taste His infinite exuberance. And we know what that great text in Matthew 13, 44 says, that great chapter about true conversion. There are about, I don't know, six or eight parables in there about true conversion. And we know what the, the guy that found the treasure in the field did. What did he do? What did he do? He went and sold all that he had that he might what? But, but what, was his, what fueled him to go sell all that he had? Does anybody remember? Friends, joy is the root of your redemption and it's the fruit of your redemption. Okay? You are redeemed out of the infinite exuberance of God. It was for the joy set before Him that what? He went to the cross. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It's joy that is the root of our redemption and it is joy that is the fruit of our redemption. That guy went and sold all that he had from joy that he might pursue Jesus Christ. That he might pursue the Lord Jesus Christ. And did you notice that Jesus not only prays that we would have his joy, but that it would be what? Made full. That it would be made full in us. I like how the NIV translates that verse. So that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. The Lord Jesus Christ is not stingy with his joy. He's not giving his brothers and sisters leftover joy. He's giving them all of it, the full measure of it. Friends, I want you to marvel at this. I want you to worship at this. This is your inheritance the joy of God forever forever. This is staggering to me. This is worship provoking to me. C.S. Lewis recounts a story with his wife, Helen. Um, Lewis tells about one morning how his wife recounted to him that she was, I'm going to quote him here, she was, quote, haunted by a vague sense of God. And so to speak, he was at her elbow. And she confessed to Lewis that she thought God was after her for some unrepented sin or some tedious religious chore. I love this. And at last, she gave in and she faced Jehovah God. And God says, I've come to tell you something. I've come to give you joy. And she entered into worship and joy there alone with God. And what I want to say to you, friends, we are peculiar people because we are likely to be infinitely exuberant for no apparent reason. Okay? And at any possible odd time, 
Because God's at our elbow. God is at our elbow. And He is infinite exuberance. And He brings His joy. He brings His joy to His people. So let me ask you, is the joy of Jesus Christ being made full in your life? I want you to be honest with yourself. Is the joy of Jesus Christ being made full in your life? I thought about this a lot this week, and I could be wrong here. It's not likely that I'm wrong. I'm just kidding. It's very possible that I'm wrong. But I tried to think, what, what possible reasons could there be for you not to have the joy of Christ in your life? And ask the Lord to show me. What the, and I came up with only four reasons that you could be sitting in here and not be experiencing the joy of God in your life. One is, first of all, you're not a Christian at all. You're merely religious and you come out of tradition or ceremony or constraint or something else. You don't really know Jesus Christ. Well, if that's your case, if, that's, if you fit that box, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to simply say to you, repent and believe. Repent and believe. Come to Jesus Christ that you may live. David says it beautifully in Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is what? He's good. He's good. Taste and see. How blessed. What does blessed mean? How happy. How happy is the man who takes refuge in Him. The second reason you may be here and you may not have the joy of God in your life is that you are entangled in unrepentant sin. You may be immersed in unrepentant sin. And if you are, as a Christian, I want to challenge you to pray the prayer of David in Psalm 51. You remember, this was his great, his great prayer of repentance. David said, Oh God, wash me. Oh God, cleanse me. Oh God, purify me. Oh God, create in me a clean heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me, oh God. And then he prayed this memorable, this memorable verse. Make me hear joy and gladness. Restore to me the joy of what? Thy salvation. Repent, Christian, if you're in sin and you've lost the joy of God in your life. The third reason I thought of is that some of you may be sitting down spiritually. Some of you may be on the spiritual recliner, so to speak. And you will not have the joy of God in your life if you, not, if you are not aggressively pursuing Him and believing Him by faith and obeying Him by faith. Listen to the psalmist, 89.15. How blessed, what does that mean? How blessed... How happy are the people who know the joyful sound. Oh Lord, they walk. Don't sit. They walk in the light of thy countenance. Psalm 100, verses 1 and 2. Shout joyfully. Don't just sit there. Expend energy. The text says, Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord. Don't recline before the Lord. It says, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come. Get up. Come before Him with joyful singing. If you are sitting down spiritually, you are, being, you are in disobedience. And you need to get up. And I want to challenge you with the words of, of uh, the Apostle Paul here that he spoke to Timothy. I'm going to challenge you to lay hold of the life that God has infused into you. Lay hold of it and live at large. The fourth reason that you may be here and not 
be experiencing the joy of God in your life is that you are a Christian, but you are in deep sorrow. You are in deep trial. You are in the midst of a grave affliction. Well, I'm going to encourage you with another psalm, Psalm 35, Psalm 30, verse 5. Weeping may last for the night, but what? Joy comes in the morning. Joy comes in the morning for the Christian. And I want to challenge you to encourage you to take heart. I want you to trust what God is doing in your life. I'm going to refer you to Romans 8.28, and I'm going to refer you to Nehemiah 8.10. I know you probably know Romans 8.28, so I won't go there, but let me tell you what Nehemiah 8.10 says. Do not be grieved for the Lord. Pardon me. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Don't you love it? Don't you love it? Jesus says to his 11 guys and to you and me, I give you my joy. Verses 14 through 16, you heard uh, Keith read the text. Jesus simply reiterates what he said more fully back over in John 15 that we covered a couple of months ago. Jesus said it very clearly, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The world hates us because we are God's peculiar people. We are His. And the it, and if we really are His, not merely a religious masquerading as a Christian, but we really are His, we really do love Him, we really do serve Him, we really do obey Him, if we are His, the world sees it and the world hates it. Jesus says they hate us because he's chosen, He has chosen us out of the world. And we've talked about this a lot this fallen world system as we've gone through the Gospel of John, and I'm not going to go into it again, but the, the Bible is unambiguous. The Bible says that the fallen system of the world is hostile to Jesus Christ. And then God warns us about loving the world, doesn't He? If we call ourselves a Christian. James 4.4 4, Do you not know that friendship with the world is what? Hostility toward God. Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 1 John 2, 15 and 16. Do not love the world, nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. You remember Paul's exhortation in Romans 12, 2. Be ye not, what, conformed to the world, but what? Well, you guys are good. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So how are you transformed? How is your mind renewed? Someone tell me. A being in His Word. I love what, uh, I love what John Blanchard says here about verse 15. Verse 15, I do not ask thee to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. John Blanchard says this, Jesus did not pray that the Father would take the Christian out of the world, right? But that He would take the world out of the Christian. There's nothing wrong with the Christian being in the world. There's something infinitely wrong for the world to be in the Christian. This is the message of the New Testament. One of the hallmarks of a genuine believer is that we are a peculiar people. We do 
belong to God. We are not of this world. I love what John MacArthur says about this. He says, this is, this is, uh, this is thought-provoking. The Christian separation from the world should be equal to that of our Lord. Do you hear that? The Christian's separation out of the world, from the world, from the ways of the world, being conformed to the world, thinking like the world, living like the world, prioritizing like the world, dreaming like the world, hoarding up like the world, all the things the world tells us we must do. He says, the Christian separation from all of that should be equal to that of our Lord. It should be nothing less. It should be nothing less. Jesus says, my people are not of this world. They are a peculiar people. They are people for my own possession. Every once in a while, I'll have, um, I'll have unbelievers demand. They'll say, why doesn't God just do a miracle so I can believe in Him? Why didn't He show me something? Why does He just show up and show me something? You know what I realized a long time ago? I've been doing this for quite a while now. Um, uh, as far as trying to be a Christian anyway, trying to walk as a Christian. You know what I realized a long, long time ago? That's me. I'm supposed to be that miracle. And that's what you're supposed to be too. You and I are supposed to be that miracle. And that unbeliever is supposed to see that you belong to God. And they're supposed to see that miracle He's doing in your life. Right? We're the miracles. God has left His miracles here. God has left you and I here. We are His miracles. How are we God's miracles? Look, let me, well, first, let me say this. Look what He says. You heard Keith read the text. Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. As thou didst send me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in the truth. So God has left His peculiar people on the planet. He has left His miracles here. How are we miracles? We are begotten of God. John chapter 3. We are born from above. We are born again. We are partakers of the divine nature. We have passed out of the darkness into the light. We have passed out of death into life. And oh yeah, we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. And oh yeah, we're supposed to have the joy, the divine, omnipotent, omnipresent joy of God in our lives. We, our unbelieving friends, are supposed to see the miracle going on in here. Brothers and sisters, God has left His miracles here that you and I might evangelize. What does it mean? What does sanctify mean? Somebody tell me. I bet you know what it means. Set apart, to be consecrated, to be made holy, to be separate. That's who we are. We are sanctified in truth. We are separate from the world. I like how the message paraphrases this verse here about Jesus having a mission in the world and about us having a mission in the world. Uh, verse 18, As thou didst send me into the world, I also send them into the world. So why has he left us in the world. The message paraphrases it like this. Jesus says, make them holy, consecrated with the truth. Your word is consecrating truth. So why is Jesus praying this for us? In the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, 
I give them a mission in the world. I'm consecrating myself for their sakes so they'll be truth consecrated in their mission. So what is our truth consecrated mission? To make Jesus famous. To make Him known. To make Him excellent in the eyes of men. Those who live in around you, those unbelieving family members and unbelieving friends and unbelieving co-workers. You are His miracle of grace and He wants you to live that. He wants you to manifest that. I looked up the word manifest. You may remember Jesus uses it up in verse 6. He said, when I was here, I manifested Thy name. And that's what He's left us here to do is to manifest His name. Uh, the dictionary says, this is what it means. This is our job description, Christian friend. To make Him clear. Are you making Him clear? To make Him obvious. To make Him conspicuous. To show or demonstrate Him plainly. To be evidence that He is Jesus Christ. He is the Lord. He is the Savior. And He does miracles in the lives of his people. I'm going to close with 2 Peter 2, 9 and 10. The Living, Bible, the Living Bible paraphrases it like this. For you are a chosen people, a kingdom of priests, God's holy nation, His very own possession. This is so you can show others the goodness of God. For He called you out of the darkness and into His wonderful light. Once you were not of people, but now you are the people of God. Jesus praised, as thou didst send me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So what I want to say tonight as we close, I want to challenge you to go out in the world and live your peculiarity. That's a hard word to say. I bet Paul could say it better. Or Alex, the British, you know. But to live your peculiarity. Say it for me, Alex. Peculiarity. Peculiarity. To live it large. Okay? Live it large. Manifest Jesus Christ where you live, where you work, this week, all week long. Put that in your head. Live your peculiarity in a spectacular way. This week. Let's pray. Oh God, we, we are in all that we are your people that You have come for us, that You have redeemed us at such an awesome and high price. You have loved us this much. Oh God, we are distinctively Yours. We are exclusively Yours. We are a peculiar people. Praise God. Praise God. We are a peculiar people. And we rejoice in it. We rejoice in it. Hallelujah. 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 We are peculiar people. We are yours. And oh God, I pray that you would grant us the courage and the faith and the stewardship and understanding to go out in the world and live it like you would have us to live it. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing chorus together. <laughs>